Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa, Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio brigade channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lungwati. In our top stories on Africa, Rise and Shine at the Sawa, 54 people have been killed during unrest in Uganda. Nigerian police continue crackdown on protesters in Abuja. And South Africa announces stricter lockdown for the Nelson Mandela Bay municipality. In economics news, South African consumers brace for higher meat prices. And in sports news, South African Open Golf Championship gets underway in Sun City. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has extended the national state of disaster by another month. Until the 15th of January 2021, South Africa will remain in alert level one, while the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro, which includes Port Elizabeth, is facing stricter restrictions. In the Eastern Cape province, the Eastern Cape Metro has been identified as a hotspot with stricter regulations on the cards since midnight. As we head into the festive season, Ramaphosa says it is the responsibility of every South African to prevent a second wave of the coronavirus. We have all the tools that we need to prevent a resurgence. We can only do this if every one of us play their part. We can only prevent a second wave if all of us respect the rules, the measures and the protocols put in place. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden says he will request that Americans wear face masks for his first 100 days in office to curtail the spread of the coronavirus. Biden also says he would order masks to be worn in all U.S. government buildings. The U.S. has recorded 14 million cases and 275,000 COVID-19-related deaths since the start of the pandemic. Speaking to CNN, Biden says he believes there would be a significant reduction in COVID-19 cases is if every American wore a face covering. When Dr. Fauci says we have a vaccine that is safe, that's the moment in which I will stand before the public. People have lost faith in the ability of the vaccine to work. Mm. And so I think that my three predecessors have set the model to what should be done. Once it's declared to be safe, then obviously we take it. And it's important to communicate to the American people it's safe. The mayor of Moscow has announced the launch of a program to immunize people against the coronavirus using the Russian-made Sputnik V vaccine. Moscow is the epicenter of the pandemic in Russia with 8,000 new cases recorded on Thursday. The BBC's Sarah Rainsford has more. Teachers, health and social workers will be able to sign up online and the first group can receive Russia's Sputnik V vaccine as soon as Saturday. The need for an effective vaccine is urgent. The desire for a world first is also clear here. So the vaccine rollout will begin even though mass trials of Sputnik V for safety and efficacy are still underway. 
Despite Russia's haste to begin using Sputnik and to announce that, mass production is still limited. The government has said it'll manufacture just two million doses of the vaccine by the end of the year. The Constitutional Court in the Central African Republic has reportedly ruled that former President Francois Bouziza cannot run for election in the vote scheduled for the 27th of December. According to AFP, the court barred him as he is facing allegations of murder and torture and he had UN sanctions slapped on him. He was president for 10 years until 2013 when his overthrow precipitated years of violent chaos. Bouziza was seen as the main electoral rival to current President Foster Nakaj Tuadore. And finally, the first of 300 British troops have arrived in Mali to bolster the UN peacekeeping mission in the country. The rest are due to fly in later this week. More than 5,000 French troops have underpinned the operation by President Emmanuel Macron is under pressure to reduce his forces. The BBC's Jonathan Bailey has more. France already has 5,000 troops in the country to combat the rising tide of extremism. British military commanders stress that the UK mission will be different, supporting a UN peacekeeping force of 14,000 from more than 50 nations. Nevertheless, they admit there are risks. It's been described as the world's most dangerous peacekeeping mission. Extremists regularly target international forces. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. 50, rather, Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni has announced that 54 people have been killed in intermittent violence that occurred in less than four weeks of political campaigns in various parts of the country. Museveni accuses opposition politicians, including his main challenger, pop star Bobby Wine, of orchestrating the violence. But opposition politicians accuse soldiers and police for using excessive force as well as live and rubber bullets to disperse thousands of people attending campaign rallies. James Shemangula has more. As 11 presidential political contestants, including President Yoweri Museveni, continue their campaigns in Uganda to persuade voters, 54 people have been killed by police and soldiers. Their death was confirmed by President Museveni, who accused supporters of opposition politicians of causing violence that resulted in the death of some of the people. 54 people died in this confusion. 32 of the dead were rioters. Some were hit by stray bullets. But opposition politicians have accused heavily armed soldiers and police of using excessive force as well as live and rubber bullets to disperse thousands of their supporters attending campaign rallies. Museveni specifically singled out popular pop star Bobby Wine that he referred to by his real name as Robert Chagulanyi for taking the lead in causing violence, prompting police to arrest him several times. If the Honorable Chagulanyi was 
arrested, his supporters should have waited for him to go to court, as he eventually did. The idea that Honorable Chagulanyi or any politician is untouchable, and if police legitimately arrest him, there will be riots, is not acceptable. Turning to politics, the 76-year-old Museveni, who is on the campaign trail to retain the presidency, emphasized that voters should vote for ability and ideas and not age. When you talk of politics and political actors, and you hear people spending so much time with young, old, then you know they don't know what they are talking about. Because we are not in a biology lab talking about biology, young fish, old fish. We are talking about solving human need, and that's why we say, what are your ideas about this? That was Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni. His comments have prompted Ugandan political analysts to make varying comments. One of them, Crispin Kaheru, has made the following comment. The Electoral Commission and the Uganda Police are surely playing to the gallery. The incidents of violence have been in the public domain. The incidents of scaffolds, of violent arrests on the campaign trails have been in the media. The burden of investigating complaints does not in any way lie with the Electoral Commission, but rather the Uganda Police Force. So when the Uganda Police Force tosses the ball back to the Electoral Commission, it becomes very clear that the issue at hand is a hot potato issue that none of these institutions is willing and able to handle conclusively. In another development, Uganda police spokesman Fred Enanga has asked Ugandans to comply with the Uganda Ministry of Health directives to prevent and control COVID-19 pandemic. Public is a prior warned not to be on the roads outside the curfew times unless you are authorized. And the public is hereby informed not to do any activity close or within such envelope. This may include but not limited to power stations, fuel stations, and other critical public use infrastructure and services. Although the curfew remains in place in Uganda, voters in the country are preparing to cast their ballots in presidential and parliamentary elections to be held on the 14th of next month. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Some six weeks after the end of the SARS peaceful protest in Nigeria, government has begun a crackdown on the perceived leaders of the youth protest, which uh, demanded the reform of the police force and make it more people-oriented. Channel Africa's correspondent in Lagos, Collins Atohengbe, has more. Signs that there will be trouble for the peaceful protesters showed early in the call of an unidentified group which gave Amnesty International a seven-day ultimatum to ship out of Nigeria or be treated with a wars of civility that would make the violence infiltration that greeted the last days of the peaceful protest a child's play. In a widely circulated video, the group says it will extend the treatment to supporters and facilities of the human rights body if it failed to leave Nigeria within the stipulated time. CASA therefore gives Amnesty International a seven-day ultimatum to leave Nigeria. The NGO's failure to leave Nigeria will attract civil disobedience at its offices both in Abuja and Lagos on a scale that will make the campaign of looting at Arsenal it facilitated appear like child's play. Amnesty International's offices and those of all its affiliated organizations and non-supporters in Nigeria will be set upon the same way that its agents destroyed critical assets in the country, its staffers, 
will be treated the same way that innocent policemen and our children lynched by mobs were treated. The countdown for the seven-day ultimatum begins now. Casa's position was further supported by an individual who went to court to lay charges of instigating the destruction of his property against some individuals he says were the leaders of the protest. Those fingered in the suit included Aisha Yusufu, a clergyman Sam Adeyemi, two popular musicians Davido and Two-Face among others, in addition to some 45 others that have been brought before the court of law for trial over the NSAS protest. Opunabo Inko Tarea, a lawyer, says. You never have leaders. So the issue of the leaders of the protest it does not even arise. What the federal government is doing right now will only factor the situation. The federal government is not sincere. Narrating her experience when security forces came to pick up her brother, Yeromosele Adene, Onome Adene says she was tricked by the security agents to take them home after which her brother was taken into custody without a warrant of arrest. They deceived me to get to my brother. When they got to the house, they were still telling the story of how they bought commodity from him and he didn't deliver. The lawyer still asked them, are you here to effect an arrest? And he said no. And still they took my brother away that same day. I knew that that story wasn't true. But when they got to the station, they now said it was because of the NSAS protest. Apart from arresting the peaceful protesters, government seen the effectiveness of the social media to coordinate the protest, which had no designated leader, had decided to regulate the medium, not minding the constraint it could cause the generality of Nigerians. Lai Mohammed is Nigeria's Minister for Information. We will also ensure that all those responsible for misconduct or wrongful acts are brought to justice. What started as a peaceful protest against police brutality quickly degenerated into incredible violence despite an immediate response to the demands by the by government. The organizers of the protest, of course, leveraged heavily on social media. The same social media was used to spread fake news and disinformation that catalyzed the violence that was witnessed across the country. No responsible government will stand by and allow such abuse of social media to continue. What we will do is to regulate the social media. Though the minister did not say if the arrest of perceived protest leaders will be part of the method to be adopted, the special assistant to the president on media and publicity, Garba Shehu, was quick to refer to the relevant portion of the law which prohibits public disturbances. There is a constitution that says clearly under section 33 defines the rights of citizens to freely protest in a peaceful way. But where a peaceful protest turns into riot and violence in the bid to get to the bottom of how protesters moved cash to be able to efficiently manage the protest, the central bank obtained a court judgment to enable it conduct investigation. By so doing, the account of presumed persons through which funds were moved have been frozen. Moise Banire, a lawyer, says the CBN does not have such powers by law. The order granted by the judge is to, the, to enable the Central Bank of Nigeria to carry out inquiry and investigation. How will you free somebody's account 
and then go back to investigation and inquiry. Where you do so, you must escalate the matter to the Nigerian police or any of the other security agency. We have so many overseas public officials who will go out of their way in the process of attempting to impress the president to do things that are not only retrogressive, they are even barbaric. How will you free somebody's account for 180 days without any investigation? In the first instance, Central Bank is, it cannot be investigating crime. We know by, by the constitution of this country, agencies that can investigate crime. While the countdown continues in the process to restore peace and order in Africa's most populous nation, the expectation is that Abuja will not step out of the standard practice of ensuring that the rights of citizens to protest is not frozen as well. From Lagos, Nigeria, I'm Collins Nosato Hingbe for Channel Africa News. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The South African government has declared the Nelson Mandela Bay Metropolitan Municipality in the Eastern Cape Province a coronavirus hotspot. President Cyril Ramaphosa made the announcement last night after a special sitting of Cabinet and the National Coronavirus Command Council. The President also extended the national state of disaster to the 15th of January in 2021. Our political correspondent in Deba Mokobo has more. The Eastern Cape has more than 11,000 active COVID-19 cases, of which 80% are in the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro, with social gatherings identified as superspreader. And this has forced government to impose more restrictions on the metro. This includes enforcing a curfew and limiting the sale of alcohol, as President Cyril Ramaphosa explains. In addition to the existing alert level 1 regulations, the following additional restrictions will apply in Nelson Mandela Bay Metro. The first is that the hours of the curfew will be from 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Secondly, the sale of alcohol from retail outlets will only be permitted between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. from Monday to Thursday. Thirdly, alcohol consumption in public spaces such as the beautiful beaches of the area and parks is strictly forbidden. And finally, all post-funeral gatherings that are now regarded as after-tears parties are prohibited. Although the initiation season is allowed in the Eastern Cape, nothing will be allowed in the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro. Following extensive consultations with traditional leaders, we have agreed that the summer initiation season in the Eastern Cape may go ahead. This is because traditional leaders in the Eastern Cape have submitted a risk-adjusted plan that has been approved by the Departments of Health and Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. This plan includes strict adherence to health protocols, including screening of initiates, the provision of personal protective equipment, and the provision of water for hygiene and to prevent dehydration. However, due to the high rates of infection in the metro, no initiation schools will be allowed in Nelson Mandela Bay. 
Other parts of the country that could soon find themselves on the same boat with the Nelson Mandela Bay Metro include the Sarah Bartman in the Eastern Cape and the Garden Route in the Western Cape. But the president said the situation in these areas and the rest of the country could be turned around through behavioral change. Unless we take personal responsibility for our health and the health of others, more people are going to become infected. More people are going to die. Now, as the number of infections begins to rise again, we cannot, we must not, sacrifice the gains that we have made. We cannot return to the darker days of June and July, when transmission of the virus was widespread and scary. So tonight, I'm asking you to recommit yourself to this fight. We're in a fight of our lives. We can still prevent the virus from spreading any further if we take the appropriate steps now. Meanwhile, all alert level 1 restrictions remain in force throughout the country. And once again, South Africans are advised to observe health protocols by wearing masks, washing their hands regularly and keeping social distance. I am Debumukobo in Johannesburg. South African civil rights group AFRI Forum wants EFF leader Julius Malema, his former national spokesperson Dr. Mbuisen Ndlozi and the party to face consequences for singing the song Kill the Boer, Kill the Farmer. The Johannesburg High Court declared the song hate speech in 2011. AFRI Forum's head of policy and action, Ernst Roots, says singing the song several times recently, especially outside the Senegal Magistrates Court, where the suspected murder of farm manager Brendan Honor appeared is unacceptable. Lila Mahmes reports. Afri Forum will ask the Equality Court in Johannesburg to find that the EFF is discriminating racially against a targeted minority group, that they be interdicted from singing the song in future, that the EFF leadership provide a written apology for not condemning the singing of the song by their members, and that the EFF donates an amount of 500,000 rand to an organization that promotes non-racialism and combats hate speech. Afriforum lawyer Daniel Ilov says they will also ask that criminal charges be investigated. We have reached a point where the willfulness of, of Mr. Malema and the EF is really quite apparent. Is we'll be asking the court to instruct the registrar of the High Court to compile a, um, a criminal docket based on the evidence that's been provided uh, in our court case and that that docket be sent to the Director of Public Prosecutions requesting the Director of Public Prosecutions to investigate the crimes of contempt of court, criminal urea and incitement to cause harm and violence and damage to property. Afri Forum's Head of Policy and Action, Aaron Strutz, says in 2011 the EFF accepted through a settlement with Afri Forum that the song was hate speech. The reality here is he has already been found guilty, at least Malema, of committing hate speech. So this is now a second round, which means that it, it strengthens our case because uh, there's a context here. And the context is also the fact that there was this settlement. In other words, it wasn't simply a court that ordered him to do something. It's something that he agreed to, and it was made a court of, an, an order of the court, uh, of the Supreme Court of Appeals. Is It makes his situation a little bit more dire. This is not the only case Afri Forum has against the EFF. 
They recently laid criminal charges of defamation, conspiracy to incite violence and assault by means of threats against Malema at the Littleton police station in Pretoria. This is after Malema said the EFF was not afraid of the police and would fight police members in their own homes. Malema and Ndlozi are also on trial in the Johannesburg Magistrates Court on charges of assault after continuous pressure by Afriforum. Malema and Ndlozi are being prosecuted for the alleged assault of a police colonel at Winnie Madikizela Mandela's funeral in 2018. Ruth says they are not targeting Malema or the EFF. We're not targeting the EFF specifically. The reality is the EFF is targeting us specifically. And when I say us, I mean, I mean our members. Um, and so this is, not, this is not attacking the EFF. This is self-defense against the EFF. Yelov says they sent a letter to the EFF in an attempt to open communications about the matter, but they didn't even receive an acknowledgement of the letter. In the end, all these efforts are to achieve a non-racial, prosperous and harmonious South Africa. Uh, that, that's what we'd like to, to, in the end, have, is a South Africa um, that is free of hate speech, it's free of um, incitement by politicians, it's free from the fear that the EFF causes. Afri Forum is expected to deliver the court papers to the EFF's lawyers. I am Lila Magnus in Pretoria. The State Capture Commission in South Africa has heard how the Gupta wedding in Sun City was used to launder money from the Estina Frieda Dairy Project in the Free State Province. A researcher from London-based World Investigations, Paul Holden, was testifying about offshore money flow related to the dairy farm project at the inquiry in Johannesburg. More than 200 million rand was spent by the Free State Government on the project meant to uplift black emerging farmers in the province. Holden also testified that of the 280 million rand paid by the Free State Government to Estina, a mere 21 million rand went into running the dairy project. Nomalizo Mandela reports. So what we're seeing here is 1.3474 million dollars of Free State public funds that go to Estina, that then go to Gateway, that then go to Accurate, that then pay for the Sun City wedding. That was evidence leader Matthew Chaskalsin summarizing the evidence by a researcher from World Investigations, Paul Holden, on how some of the Fred Dairy Project money was laundered using the Gupta wedding in Sun City. Using the spreadsheet presentation, Holden showed how an amount of 1.34 million US dollars paid by the Free State Government to Estina was transferred to a Gupta offshore company, Gateway Limited, which through other offshore companies came back to South Africa as payments for the wedding. They invoice a, a, a total figure of almost exactly 30 million rand. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of that money was spent on the Sun City wedding. What it did do was create a paper trail through which Linkway could present to its auditors who are KPMG saying this is why we have this money coming into our account is because Linkway provided services on the wedding 
and thereafter. But actually, if you look at the Linkway accounts, for example, you don't see suddenly a vast number of expenses related to the wedding. Okay. Instead, it's dispersed to other Gupta Enterprise companies. Walden told the commission that 95% of the funds paid by the Free State Government to Estina was not used for the intended purpose. Of the total amount paid in by the Free State Government, um, total of like 263,601,851 rand and 94 cents was paid out cumulatively to Gateway Limited, Vargafield and uh, South African Revenue Services for VAT payments connected to Estina. Thus, of the funds that are deposited by the Free State Government, we can trace uh, a mere 21 million seven hundred forty-six. Uh, 1697.18 that was transferred to accounts. Um, these appear to be a mixture of payments for uh, the costs of running the dairy enterprise. Walden also told the commission that Gateway Limited, based in Singapore, was used as the money laundering vehicle. It is only used in 2013 to receive payments from one transnet-related contractor uh, and then to immediately dissipate out those uh, funds to other Gupta Enterprise companies offshore. Uh, it is also used in this particular instance to, uh, as a vehicle through which uh, funds from the Estida project are eventually commingled into a single, singular account from the Gupta Enterprise to be paid into South Africa. It is really, uh, it's mostly just a placeholder um, through which funds are being flowed as part of a laundry process. Paul Holden is expected to conclude his testimony on Friday morning. Nomalizo Mandela at Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlec to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Thanks. I tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite from an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandaluni Ndlovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. At 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has extended the national state of disaster by another month until the 15th of January 2021. Three members of a leading Egyptian human rights group detained in Cairo last month have been freed following widespread international criticism. And U.S. President-elect Joe Biden says he will request that Americans wear face masks for his first 100 days in office to curtail the spread of the coronavirus. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Nangagwa, has appealed to his fellow African leaders to join hands with his administration in preserving history of the continent. Nangagwa made the remarks on Thursday during the groundbreaking at the site of the Museum of African Liberation, a vital tool in telling the stories of the African liberation. The project is being jointly pursued by the government of Zimbabwe and the Institute of African Knowledge. Channel Africa's Simon Muchemwa has more from Harare. Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa has called upon his fellow African leaders to safeguard the continent's history as he took part in the groundbreaking ceremony for a new Museum for Africa in Harare. The museum is conceived as a monument of the epic struggle to liberate the African people from European colonialism and apartheid. Construction of this project will be funded by the Zimbabwean government and the Institute of African Knowledge, INSTAG, in a bid to preserve the African liberation history. Nangagwa, who has always wanted to rewrite the African history, urged other leaders to tell the African story. Learning from our history and our past, the time has come for us to deliberately and more consciously defend our interests and the people of Africa. Let us never give in to the cunning machinations of neo-colonial forces in whatever guise. To do this is a betrayal to the great founding fathers men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice for the unity, freedom, democracy and development we are enjoying today. Mnangagwa said Africa must no longer wait for people from overseas to come and interpret our history for us. Africans have demonstrated that they are capable of liberating themselves. Africans must be the ones to tell the world how they did it, and how it feels to be victorious and free, he added. I challenge African scholars and the media to come forward to propel our development through the telling of our own story. The epoch we are now at as Africa is the story of full ownership and utilization of our endowments to modernize, industrialize, and ultimately improve the lives of our people. This project must, therefore, serve to unify and inspire us as Africa to never again allow any peoples to sit down to petition and cave out our motherland 
for their own nefarious benefits. Apart from Ethiopia, Liberia and Egypt, most African nations gained independence in the second half of the 20th century. The museum will enable Africans in the rest of the world to learn about the history and struggle for freedom and human dignity for each of all these African countries under one roof. The construction of this museum is not to trap us in our past, but meant to ensure that we use our history to learn from the past and chart a better future for the next generations. Through this continental project, let us put to rest the one-sided Eurocentric narratives which have been perpetuated in the public space for too long. Meanwhile, families of former freedom fighters during the liberation of Zimbabwe donated artifacts to be displayed in the new museum. The family of the late Josiah Tongogara a commander during the War of Liberation handed over the pistol the national hero loved so dearly during the Liberation War. Building from the Africa Fact Book, this project will see the documentation of African liberation stories from across the entire continent, told by actors and participants. The pendulum has surely shifted and the African story will now be told first and foremost from the vintage point of Africa and by us, the Africans. Going forward, I urge participants of the liberation struggle from across the continent to provide their war artifacts and every piece of memorabilia to be exhibited in this museum. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Mchemwa. South African Airways employees face a bleak Christmas this year. They've gone for eight months without pay. Members of the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa and the South African Cabin Crew Association held a protest outside SAA headquarters demanding to be paid. Mbongini Mutwa has more. SAA employees crying foul. Although National Treasury has allocated the 10.5 billion rand needed to pay the workers and fund the establishment of a new airline, the money will only be transferred next month, leaving the workers high and dry going into Christmas. SAA Cabin Crew Association General Secretary Mpomwe Kangwa. It is rather unfair that workers must suffer. It is the irresponsibility of the BFPs who do not know what they are doing. It's emerged that the Department of Public Enterprises has transferred one and a half billion rand to the SAA business rescue practitioners. But the rescue practitioners say they don't want to charge the money because it came with conditions which they deem to be unlawful. They say the conditions are in contravention of both the Companies Act and the Labor Relations Act. Meanwhile, SAA has given its remaining 1,000 employees until tomorrow to accept new conditions of employment which are aimed at reducing costs. The new conditions of employment require workers to take a 30% salary cut and forego benefits including medical aid, 
housing allowance and 13th check. Unions are divided over the issue. NUMSA and the Cabin Crew Association have rejected the move. But the National Transport Movement, Solidarity and Sachao have accepted it. Mashudu Rapecha is the president of the National Transport Movement. We are aware that the current conditions that are being presented before our members are not what uh, employees would have um, loved to have. But because we want to see South African Airways resuming, um, we are going to start from the bottom and gradually we will redress the losses that happened as a result. The National Transport Movement is optimistic that workers will be paid their salaries ahead of Christmas. Only time will tell. I'm Bongeni Mucho in Johannesburg. As South Africans gear up to welcome the festive holiday season, the Gauteng Tourism Authority has launched its Provincial Domestic Tourism Festive Season promotional campaign, hashtag GP Festive Summer. The Provincial Destination Marketing Agency has embarked on a promotional drive to encourage Gautengers and visitors alike to travel locally, explore their backyards and enjoy the festive summer differently and responsibly. Channel Africa's Ntlantamatlang reports. South Africa's Gauteng province is open and ready to once again offer the best experiences for locals and visitors to discover and enjoy. As part of the hashtag GP Festive Summer campaign, GTA officials and members of the media this week explored the western region of the province, an area that houses breathtaking leisure and outdoor adventure activities, as well as the world-renowned cradle of humankind World Heritage Site. More on the campaign from the Gauteng Tourism Authority's acting CEO, Baba Khaukhanidiwe. So our campaign is primarily looking at locals, empowering them with information. And firstly, as champion host, what should they do when people visit them? We are encouraging them not to be a boring host. They must be able to explore our splendid township offerings. But because of also the restrictions, they must be able to do outdoor leisure activities. And that's why we are in the West End which is embarked with outdoor safe activities like hiking, like fishing, and the like. So primarily, we are showcasing the outdoor adventure fun of hunting. We are rewriting the local economy. And lastly, we are sending a message of confidence that our facilities are ready, our staff is well-trained, our people are also now appreciating more than ever before the value of tourism because during hard lockdown, no money, no income in their stuff. Tour guides were not operating, businesses dwindling, no income at all. And now, with us in lockdown level one, uh, where majority of tourism activities are happening, this gives us a perfect opportunity to appreciate, firstly, the value of tourism, but also encourage the entire value chain in the sector to work together, but under strict observation of the protocols. The campaign also showcases Gauteng's readiness in the implementation of the de-risk protocols by tourism products, experiences and amenities. It also aims to pursue and maximize on tourism economy, diversification, attract investment, increase revenue and create job opportunities. Michael Wasnip, the Managing Director at Maruping Visitor Center, has more on what to expect. Well, the reality is that we haven't been able to change very much over the last eight months. There are plans for the future which are going to make this into what it was 20 years ago, 
uh, but even better. And people coming to Marapeng and Stefantane will be able to experience a wonderful outdoor experience, which is previously not what people have been seeing this firstly as. But now I think that is exactly what people want. They want an outdoor experience. We've got a walking trail. We've got a wonderful picnic site. People will be able to come and buy picnic baskets and spend a wonderful time. Dennis Tabe, the West Rand District Executive Mayor, says they've since launched the Township Tourism Association to ensure the best visitor experience. From the beginning or when we started to build Marupeng, part of what we agreed with the provincial government was that we need to link this particular institution with the people of the township. The township in all our regions and indeed with that particular approach, the best way it was to make sure that we launch the township tourism associations and you'll find Manzanville having its own Kahiso and the rest. And in terms of what they benefit or how they benefit at some point, it's like your tour guides training that have been provided to them so that if somebody comes to Marupeng is able to be taken to Manzanville or to Kahiso, relevantly so having a person who has the background of that particular township. Since the easing of lockdown restrictions, all systems have been put in place to ensure that all locals, national and international visitors, have a safe and enjoyable summer break while they adhere to the COVID-19 protocols. And following updates that COVID-19 cases are increasing in the country, the province has also emphasized the importance of following health protocols during the festive season travels. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Glantla Matlangu in Johannesburg. At 7.44 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tamizuluhoku. Good morning. The Commission of Inquiry into South Africa's state capture will this morning continue hearing testimony related to the Estina Frieda Dairy Project in the Free State Province. On Thursday, a researcher from London-based World Investigations, Paul Holden, told the Commission how the Gupta wedding in Sun City was used to launder money. More than 200 million rand was spent by the Free State Government on the project meant to uplift black emerging farmers in the province. Using a spreadsheet presentation, Holden show how an amount of 1.34 million US dollars paid by the Free State Government to Estina was transferred to a Gupta offshore company, Gateway Limited. Holden says that through other offshore companies, the money came back to South Africa as payments for the wedding. They invoice a, a, a total figure of almost exactly 30 million rand. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of that money was spent on the Sun City wedding. What it did do was create a paper trail through which Linkway could present to its auditors who are KPMG saying this is why we have this money coming into our account. is because Linkway provided services on the wedding and thereafter. Oh, okay. But actually, if you look at the Linkway accounts, for example, you don't see suddenly a vast number of expenses related to the wedding. Okay. Instead, it's dispersed to other Gupta Enterprise companies. South Africa's former ASKIM executive, Machila Koko, has denied allegations that he gave his daughter millions in U.S. dollars worth of ASKIM contracts. Koko was testifying on Thursday before the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture, underway in Johannesburg. 
He also alleged that former Deputy Minister of Public Enterprises Ben Martin suspended him telephonically against a proper procedure. One of the things I had expected is that the people who says that come to present that evidence to you or they go to the hawks or to the police. For four years, I've been accused of giving my daughter a billion rents. For four years, I've not been talked to by the police or the law enforcement agencies or the commission about a billion rents. Do you know why? I never did it. South African meat producers say an increase in the prices of red meat and pork products will go beyond December into the first quarter of 2021. Experts say the prices of this category of products are currently at their highest levels in years. Consumers will have to fork out more for meat products this festive season. Johan Gotter, CEO of the South African Pork Producers Organization, says that they are currently experiencing high feed prices that make up between 70 and 75% of pork production costs. So the feed price now is relatively high and higher than what we had the previous year. For us as consumers, it is a concern that the retail price don't go uh, too high because then you're going to have a resistance in buying and the demand for pork. As producers, we are confident that uh, the price that we have now and the retail price where we see it now would stay more or less the same and that we would, to a certain extent, still gain and keep our momentum as, as producers to sell pork. Meanwhile, red meat prices have breached to 50 kilograms a kilo with lamb and marten at 40% higher than last year. Gerard Schutter is CEO of the Red Meat Producers Organization. Year on year, the producer price of beef went up around about 12%. The lamb price for the producer year on year up by around about 25%. Very good news for the producer, perhaps not that good news for the consumer. Always remember that we are still 30% behind world norm in terms of prices. That's why we are so competitive in the international arena. We also have very, very high quality. That is mainly due to the fact that we have a unique classification system. The Bank of Namibia says that the business community continues to be unenthusiastic about private sector credit extension as it keeps reducing the amount of money it borrows on a monthly basis. Households are still borrowing to fund houses and vehicles as indicated by the rise in monthly and annual increase in mortgages and other loans and advances. The depressed appetite to take up credit has been continuing throughout 2020. The US dollar is trading at 377.44 Nigerian Nara, 10.89 Botswana Pula, 110.50 Kenyan Shilling and 20.97 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, 1 US dollar costs 5 rubles 18, Russia, 74 rubles 81, India, 73 rupees 73, China, 61 54 and in South Africa, 15 rand 25. The US dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,841 and platinum $1,039 per ounce, while brand crude oil is at $49.64 a barrel. It's a Friday for Lulugabu.
Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. Figile, the um, golf championship, Sun City, tell us about it. Oh yes, the golf is ongoing as we speak. It will tee off again around about 9 o'clock started yesterday. It's a four-day event. Mm-hmm. We'll see. There's a lot of uh, golfers out there. They're going to prove. It's one of those tournaments that will lead up to uh, the NetBank Cup as mm. well. You know, the NetBank Challenge as well. Yes, you know, NetBank Challenge, yeah, yes. Yeah, the NetBank Challenge. This is a side, SA Open. Okay. The, the, that that's, that leads to that big one where every golfer in the world would like to play the NetBank Challenge. Give us an update. First up in our sports update, it's a cricket news. South Africa have left out former captain Fav Duplessis from their squad for the one-day international series against England, which starts at Newlands this afternoon. A 36-year-old who retired from Test cricket earlier this year is being rested for the three-match series after competing in the 2020 games against England, which the visitors swept 3-0 and in the Indian Premier League for the Chennai Super Kings. He joins injured fast bowler Kahiso Rabada on the sidelines. Rabada suffered an abductor injury earlier this week and will only return later this month for the test series against Sri Lanka. Bjorn Fertain, Riza Hendricks and Pete van Bellion were also all released from the squad on Thursday as the numbers were reduced to 18. Former Mamilodi Sundowns coach Peter Musemane says he is still adjusting at his new club Al-Akhli in Egypt since joining them in late September. In his short tenure in North Africa, Musimane has already won two trophies, the league title and the CAF Champions League. A 56-year-old former Bafana Bafana coach addressed a news conference hosted by the South African Football Journalist Association. The victory ended Al-Akhli's seven-year wait for a record ninth Champions League title. Musimane realized that the dream of winning the treble in his debut season have increased after reaching the final of the Egyptian Cup on Tuesday. Thanks God, uh, things have gone the right way. We we haven't lost a game up till now. Uh, touch wood, we don't uh, uh, jinx ourselves. And we have received less least number of goals, which, you know, I like to play a little bit conservative. Uh, if I feel that we have to close the game, I close it. And if I feel that we have to turn the volume up and, and move on, and we've scored goals, you know, beautiful. Australia skipper Michael Hooper recalled for a complete performance in the final test of the year against the weakened Argentina, who are missing the captain after a row over racist tweets. Australia blew a golden opportunity to not only beat the Pumas a fortnight ago, but put themselves in pole position to win the Tri-Nations. They were leading 15-6 with 19 minutes left. But poor discipline handed Argentina a lifeline, which fly-half Nicolas Sanchez grabbed with both hands, nailing three consecutive penalties to draw the game. And swimming news, Swimming South Africa SSA says COVID-19 remains a major concern in the sport as some of the events had to be cancelled due to the ongoing concerns attributed to COVID-19. Swimming South Africa President Alan Fritz is not happy with Swimming South Africa's current state of preparations ahead of the next year's Tokyo Olympic Games and says USA, Australia and some European countries have had ample time to prepare for the event while South Africa was in strict lockdown period. Look, I'm not totally happy with the preparations. Uh, you know that America is um, uh, America was never stopped from, from participating in sporting events. They uh, never had a hard lockdown like we had. The Europeans uh, recommend training the 16th of May. 
the Australians the same. So we are about four, five, six months behind the rest of the world. And it's hard. It's very hard on our athletes. Um, but we hope that as we play catch-up uh, in, in the months ahead, that we can achieve at least some level of competitiveness against our major counterparts, you know. In golf news, as we wrap up, reigning South African amateur champion Casey Jarvis and informed Christian Mars laid down early markers in the hunt for the prestigious Freddie Tate Cup on day one of the South African Open Championship at Sun City in South Africa's Northwest Province. That's the sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It wraps up Africa, rise and shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzura Magaza, technical producer Fisoma Shekho and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is When Days Are Dark, Friends Are Few, with a, a, a song by the late Sipo Umete.